In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may truly be wise and ever enjoy his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. For much of 2020, it's felt like we've been living in this suspended animation. Seemingly everything has been upended by the viral pandemic. Even as things, quote unquote, return to normal, it doesn't really feel that way, does it? It's not as stark or as severe as in March when there were curfews, few stores remained open. We were told not even to be surrounded by family and friends, but to shelter in place, lest you or the people you were returning to might be carrying the virus and you would spread it. Back in March, we had students from Newman who uh, were spending their spring break on a mission trip to Albania. And I remember one of the initial worries was that perhaps they would be forced to quarantine for two weeks upon their return. And just that possibility, that word quarantine, was so foreign. It evoked these images of people in hazmat suits and our students isolated in some hospital ward somewhere or some cold institutional setting. Some seven months later, all these things have seeped into our consciousness almost become part of our lives and routines. Great numbers of people have had to quarantine for 14 days, and it's not treated with that same sense of terror, but more of an incredible annoyance now. The sight of people wearing masks in seemingly every situation imaginable, something that was unthinkable a year ago, has become accepted, and in fact more expected than the sight of being without them. But as much as we've adapted, all of this has really added a, a major dose of fear into our collective consciousness. Most therapists or psychological experts would have told you that pre-pandemic, the world wasn't exactly navigating stress or anxiety very well to begin with. Now just all the routine and ordinary things are that much more difficult. Even with all of these great modern conveniences and technological advances that we have, 20 years ago, there wasn't a Skype, which I realize that I'm dating myself. As one of my former students said, dripping with condescension, Father, you're the only one I know who still uses Skype. Sorry, I must have missed a memo somewhere. But seriously, live streaming, telecommunications, social media, for all of their drawbacks, and there's a lot of them, it's doubtful that we could be as productive or connected as we are right now in this less than ideal time without all of those things. But that being said, with all those pluses, the newer stresses and the frustrations that people have to contend with, with those are just taxing as well. A friend was telling me of her son in second grade who when his Zoom froze, he just had this, this meltdown that turned into this tantrum that reminded her not of a second grader, but a two-year-old. The new normal, the new every day has gotten harder for everyone. All those 
unprecedented experiences kind of displace the normal and the everyday fears and worries and stresses that people have had to contend with, at least initially. But those fears of failure, of sickness and death, the litany of questions that people ask us or we ask ourselves in no particular order, what am I doing with my life? Where am I going? How do people perceive me? How can I afford to take care of myself or my loved ones? Why is my loved one sick? They never really go away, even if we are preoccupied by the latest shutdown orders or mask mandates. Not to add another layer of despair, but to be honest, those questions are ongoing throughout each of our lives. At every age and stage of our life, whatever transition we find ourselves in, those fears and those anxieties and those worries seem to accompany each transition. The high school graduate, the college graduate, the professional transferring to a new job, all have to contend with meeting new people, worrying about friendships and relationships. Will the old ones last? What will the new ones be or even look like? The anxiety over what school to go to will manifest itself once again over what major do I study? What career path am I going to take? Where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? And we're never going to be immune to the possibility of illness, whether in ourselves or those closest to us. And nothing can alleviate the pains experienced with the loss of someone we love. One of the dangers all these realities cause is that turning inward We can do almost as an impulse where we experience fears and doubts and anxieties. Those questions all cause us to have a self-focus. What am I supposed to do? What's going to happen to me or what's wrong with me? Another truth, another reality. No matter the age or the stage of life that we're in, no matter what it is that we're facing, what we're dealing with, there's a desire, whether it's spoken or unspoken, for someone to be with us, to accompany us, who will help us, will take care of us, will make us feel safe and secure. Whether it's a child crying out for mommy or daddy, or the college student finding that professor or that advisor that helps them navigate whatever is overwhelming them in planning their course of studies or their future, or the person who has received a a terrifying diagnosis and meets the doctor who they're going to entrust themselves to. We recognize that as much as we have to stand on our own two feet and we have to confront things and be independent, almost in every situation we face, we also need that expertise of someone more learned, the experience of someone more mature, the care and concern of someone who notices us, recognizes us, and loves us which is what finds us here tonight, why we're here. We come as ourselves, as imperfect, sinful, and frightened people. And we come to meet and to encounter Jesus, who speaks into each and every one of our fears, who dispels the darkness, who casts out the demons that torment us, who heals us, who wipes away our tears, who incredibly, immensely loves us. We begin this extended period of time, this 
40-hour devotion, these 40 hours with Jesus, first by listening to some words from the Gospel of Mark. Coming from the fourth chapter of this Gospel, it's very early into Jesus' public ministry where he's already called his first followers. He's done some significant, miraculous healings, preachings. He's appointed 12 to be his apostles. So some important things have already taken place. But it's still early yet, even for those who've had their lives changed after they've had an encounter with Christ. And so we read this unforgettable event that happens one evening. On that day, as evening drew on, he said to them, let us cross to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them into their boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. A violent squall came up and waves were breaking over the boat so that it was already filling up. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Quiet, be still. The wind ceased, and there was great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? They were filled with great awe, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Think about that. Try to picture yourself in that scene. Imagine the terror of that moment. We're not talking about a, a breeze gently through the autumn leaves or some idyllic day at the beach staring out as water rolls and nice little waves on the water. We're talking Weather Channel reporter standing out in the middle of Hurricane 3 storm approaching the shoreline where you're not sure if the guy's going to make it back to his van or not. The ferocity of those natural elements. Think about whenever you've seen or experienced a storm like that, maybe watched it from the relative safety of your home or inside your car maybe. Now picture being on a boat with such elements have suddenly emerged and you're surrounded by water, feeling completely vulnerable and helpless. That's where the disciples on the boat with Jesus find themselves are. As Jesus is asleep in their midst, they try to do everything they can to not navigate the sudden storm. You can almost imagine Peter, I've got it. Or Andrew countering, no, 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 you need to do this. While James and John argue about what their father did this one time that something similar happened. You can picture the, the frustration as each and every one of these techniques and suggestions seems completely useless as the situation gets dire and it becomes worse and worse by the moment. They go from not wanting to wake Jesus, not wanting to embarrass themselves at they don't have everything under control. They don't know what to do to being real, to being very vulnerable to expressing their utter terror. Jesus, we're perishing. The gospel recounts a seemingly quick progression and resolution of, well, everything. Jesus wakes up, rebukes the wind, speaks to the sea, 
and the wind ceased, and there was dead calm. Who then is this, that even the wind and sea obey him? As each of these men individually failed to come up with a solution, as they as a collective group were unable to deal with a rapidly deteriorating situation, the immediacy of this is being resolved by Jesus' very word is awesome. But it's equally terrifying. It's one thing when they saw a leper healed or a paralytic walking at Jesus' command. Those were inexplicable, but it was something that they only experienced as an eyewitness. It was something that was astounding, but it was also something out of the norm on every level for everyone, and it was removed from their personal experience. They saw and they witnessed a miracle, but they didn't know how it felt to have been in those broken situations, thinking there's no hope, then finding hope and everything else restored in meeting Jesus. Well, being on a boat and sailing, that's a part of their everyday lives. They knew and had experienced every conceivable ebb and flow to it. And in the blink of an eye, they're plummeted into the depths of vulnerability where they can relate now to the leper or to the paralytic. In spite of all their expertise and experience and their knowledge, now they needed saving. And in another blink of an eye, Jesus does just that. Even more biblical scholars point out that calming the wind and sea would evoke for these Jewish men the remembrance that it was at the very opening chapters of Genesis where we first heard and learned of God's omnipotence, where he's presiding over the very act of creation and is summoning the winds and waters by his very word. All the titles and images and speculations they had about the Messiah, the Lamb of God, Whatever conceptions or ideas they had surrounding these things hadn't prepared them to recognize that Jesus was in fact God himself. God had indeed become man and dwelt among them. He had been there all along. They had seen and listened to him and witnessed what he had done, but the reality of who Jesus was, that he was God himself among them, that hadn't really captured their minds and their hearts yet and their visions quite yet. God had come down to be with them, to be intimately close and present to them, yet they didn't quite catch the fact that he had done so, that he was sleeping right there in the boat with them. And that's why we're here. That's why we need to be here. As we know all too well, the terrifying winds that seem to be blowing in multiple directions all at the same time, as waves are crashing and the ferocity of floodwaters seem to be gushing in that all makes us believe that we're perishing. Our nation's perishing, our world is perishing. We go through our litany of fears and worries, some imaginary but most probably not, that seem just to increase by the day. We go from our own lives and families and our own personal list to bigger events that has everyone on edge seeing the anger and division of a nation preparing for another election in less than two weeks, with everyone on edge as both sides have, have demonized the other, as media and leaders have eroded trust in one another and all the principles that founded and guided our nation for close to 250 years. 
or recognizing the fragility of life, that a virus could cause such widespread fear and illness and death to both the wealthiest and the poorest of nations. Understandably, people worry that we are, in fact, perishing. But do we go to Jesus with those fears and worries and anxieties? Do we recognize he's not abandoned us or forsaken us? That no, he's not punishing us. Or maybe that's going a little bit too far ahead. Even more foundational, do we believe that even the wind and sea obey him? Throughout the Old and New Testament, we recognize how God had gifted humanity, gifted us with the ultimate of gifts, which is free will. He takes the incredible risk of creating creation and for humanity, the crown and glory of his creation, who he makes in his own image and likeness. In order for us to truly be in his image and likeness, he equips us with free will. He allows us to freely choose to listen to him, to follow him, to love him or not. And in Jesus, in God become man, in God who dwelt and dwells among us. And right here now draws infinitely yet intimately closer to us, vulnerable under the least threatening of appearances and accessible in the most common of elements, making his real body and blood as real and present to us in the Eucharistic host. Jesus has stepped into this space and this place and this time. And we too have met him and we've encountered him in countless variety of ways, most especially being baptized and initiated as Catholic Christians. As people, we have met him in the scriptures and in our interactions with the poor. Jesus has entered into our lives and we have encountered him. But what about all those lists of fears and anxieties and doubts and worries? How many of us feel like we're on the boat? Jesus is getting a little windy and a little wet up here. The one whom the wind and sea obey is the way out of fear. The truth to all the questions that overwhelm us. The life to a world that is threatened by a culture of death. But do we want him or not? Or rather, do we want him or just want him to fix our fears and worries? Like, hey, Jesus, just get us a vaccine so we don't have to worry about COVID anymore. Amen. Or Jesus, everything will be fine if so-and-so wins the election. And I'm reasonably sure Jesus rolls his eyes at that one. Or Jesus, help me get this job or get into the school or find a girlfriend or cure this disease. You did it for those guys in the gospel. Why not me? That always seems to be the stumbling block for many. We hear these awesome stories and wonder, where is our tremendous sign? Where is our tremendous feat? Where is our miracle? The thing is, not that we shouldn't share all the things that sadden or discourage or frighten us, but too often we look at Jesus kind of like a jack of all trades or a Jesus of all trades, a, a Mr. Fix-It we want to come in and just fix things here. Interestingly, according to our own image and design and plan. And that's part of the problem. That's why often we're discouraged in our prayer thinking, it's not working. 
He's not doing what I want, what I need. We're too self-reliant. And in a, a real sense, we don't realize that we're not actually putting ourselves into Jesus' hands and letting him take control. The apostles that fateful night did not anticipate the wind and sea obeying the very word of Jesus. Interesting, though, that Jesus was there the whole time sound asleep. Was he disinterested? Did he not know what was going on? (laughs) No, he was at peace. He was perfectly in tune with his father's will. And he never wavered in obedience and submission to that. So while the winds and the seas were very much real and present and threatening, Jesus was not disturbed by them. When the apostles finally go to him, recognizing that there's nothing else they can do, there's no obvious way to safety, it's then that they're putting themselves in humble submission to Jesus. They have no other choice. We're perishing. And rather than speaking words of comfort to them or giving them advice on how they could have navigated the seas differently or what they could do to survive this moment or the next or the next. To their cries, we are perishing. He responds, no, you're not. And neither are we. And that is the epitome of the good news that is at the heart of Jesus' message to us. We are not perishing. He has indeed come to save us. But we have to have bigger visions. It's not about saving us from that embarrassing failure or that humiliation or of not being able to keep up with what's current and trending. It's not about saving us from experiencing tough times or difficult moments. It's not even about saving us from the high winds or choppy waters all the time. It's much greater than that. It's about saving us from all that ails every human soul since we've had to leave the Garden of Eden. Saving us from evil and from the evil one and from the things that destroy life, from sin and from even death itself. When we get into alignment with that awesome truth, when we let those promises to seep into the depths of our hearts and souls, when we begin to live our life confident in this new life that we have received when we were baptized into his death and eternally united in his resurrection, when we we reflect on the nourishment we receive as we dare to come forward and receive the most miraculous thing we could, his body and blood in the Eucharist, all that is meant to cause us to live differently not denying all that points to the frailty of a world that is perishing, unmoved by all those signs. It's then that at the core of our beings, our faith is confident. We don't say it as, or ask it as a question. We know who this is, that even the wind and the seas obey him.